Hello and welcome to Book City Roanoke. I'm Douglas Jackson and I'm happy today to kick off episode one of the podcast's second season with Christina Nifong. Nifong is a freelance journalist, a reader, food writer, and local foods advocate in the Roanoke area. Before we start the conversation, I want to tell you a little about the structure of the podcast. Book City Roanoke is about books and writing in our lives and in our community. There's a growing cadre of folks who are exploring equity and engagement at the intersection of books and place, and you'll find them at Book City Roanoke. As for format, I'll be speaking with authors and what we call city builders, people shaping lives and community through literacy and literary efforts here in the region. We'll check in with book clubs and we'll hear from local leaders on the books they're reading. The podcast is brought to you by our founding sponsor, Book No Further, Roanoke's independent bookstore, putting ideas in your head since 2017 down on the Roanoke City market. Each of the episodes will clock in at about half an hour, a little bit under. And this season, we're focused on the theme of the next chapter, books, writing, and the personal renaissance. And when I mentioned the written word and this kind of transformation, everybody seemed really ready with a perspective. So join me this season for what promises to be kind of a long line of great conversations. And I want to thank Christina Nifong for taking the time to be with me today. She's lived in Boston, New York, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Raleigh. She's written for the Christian Science Monitor and the Roanoke Times. And now you can find her writing in the Roanoker. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here, Doug. Thanks so much. Well, you've been writing steadily for a, for a while now. Tell me about how you got started writing. I, um, I like to say that I wrote my first children's book when I was 10. I um, drew and, and wrote on construction paper a little book called Mr. Moon Travels the World. <laughs> And I have no idea where that is now. But um, so I've been inclined toward reading and writing for a long time. Um, when I went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, that was my major. I was a journalism major there. And um, I've just loved the doors that being a journalist has opened for me. Uh, the stories that I've gotten to hear um, have been fascinating well, let's think of you know think back over that history of writing. What's maybe one or two stories or people you've profiled that have affected the way you see your own life? Gosh, I think almost everyone I talk to uh, does that in some way. I, I will mention a piece I wrote for the Roanoker last year um, about a refugee who uh, had been in Roanoke for a while. She's fantastic. Um, and she let me into her home and her life. I met her kids. Um, and she told me, you know, a harrowing story of escape and then just a beautiful story of rebuilding a life here in Roanoke. And um, as I was writing it, I, I printed the story out, um, a draft of the story and left it on the table for my, my family to read. And everybody read it. And we all sort of looked at each other and went, wow, like it really puts everything in perspective, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that burn dinner or 10 minute late like carpool, you know, just really is insignificant in the big scheme of things. Yeah. And and it makes us look at other people, other people besides that person with fresh eyes. We never know the story behind a person. 
Uh, Absolutely. And every time we, we were actually just talking about this. Every time I have one of these conversations or take the time to go deeper with someone, I'm always uh, fascinated and surprised. We see somebody in one position or one, uh, one, we see one aspect of their life and there's always so much more. It's that, that, that iceberg below the surface. For, for sure. So tell me, how, how did you come to Roanoke? I, um, we moved here almost 14 years ago. Um, and at the time I was a stay at home mom with a four year old and a two year old. And, uh, my husband took a job with what was then Hasty Mattern and Mattern. Um, so he is still working for what is now AECOM as an architect. So he brought us here. Um, and we have just fallen in love with, um, the, people and the accessibility. Um, I, as you know, I just wrote a story about what makes Roanoke Roanoke um, in the Roanoke magazine. Um, and of a piece, everyone basically said the influence that a person can have in Roanoke is outsized. You can be a shop owner, you can be a teacher, you can be a city leader, you can be a newsletter writer, whatever you are. Um, Roanoke is just, it's the perfect size and it's filled with people who have energy and vision and your contribution just reaches so far. So I really love that about Roanoke, feeling that um, I can know many, many people relatively well, but also, um, you know, that whatever we're all doing, um, is reverberates and is, is felt, you know, throughout the community. And I'm thinking about some of the people that were mentioned in the article and I can see them in town doing their thing. Uh, and I think, well, you tell me, it seems to me that, Every one of them is is learning and changing and growing as they're doing it as well. Do you have a maybe an example of, of that? Um, sure. I talked to um, Xavier Duckett, uh, who is just an incredible um, guy who I actually don't know very well, but he was gracious enough to return my call and have um, a really lovely conversation. Um, but he, you know, grew up in Roanoke. Um, went to Old Dominion, came back, and wasn't maybe particularly thrilled to be back in Roanoke as a, you know, 24-year-old young man who had big visions of, you know, big city life. And, and um, but once he got here, he just kind of had a mental shift and said, I am going to make my mark here. I'm going to do good work. And once he got started, he just couldn't stop. So he has several um, nonprofit initiatives going on. And they're just things that maybe somebody else wouldn't have thought to do. And I think they're very impactful. Um, he, you know, takes kids on hikes, inner city kids on hikes who wouldn't go. He um, works with young women on self-image and body image. And um, he just, he has so much, he's doing so much good and we're so glad he's here. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm hoping that he'll be one of the voices we hear. If not this season, then next season. Right. He's doing, That'd be great. He's doing terrific work. And um, we, we did 10 episodes last season. We'll do maybe 12 or 14 episodes this season. And we will not be running out of people to interview. For sure. Um, 
and there's so and there is often I find some connection between uh, that energy, uh, the spirit, and the written word. Uh, somewhere along the line, there's there's something that that has helped shape people. What um, what are some of the books that you've read or encountered that have shaped who you are today? I can remember the very first uh, chapter book, real like hundred pages, you know, not not like we're calling this a chapter book, but it's really like 20 pages. Um, my grandmother gave it to me on a beach trip. Uh, it was Anne of Green Gables and she was reading it herself. Uh, she'd taken it on a beach trip with us. She was reading it herself and she just left it on the bookshelf on the top of her bureau. Uh, and I walked in and I was like, what is this? And she said, take it. And uh, I did. I don't remember the age that I was. It was a little over my reading level probably at that point. But I was so intrigued that she was reading it, that she had brought it for me, that it was a story about a young girl. I fell into that series and just, I don't know that I, in the end, read every single one of them, but read at least six, you know, read many, many pages of Anne of Green Gables. So for me, that was probably the first um, time that the written word took me into another world entirely. And I just lived there for many years. I think it's how today's kids or the millennials feel about Harry Potter, um, mm-hmm. that they sort of enter that world and they just love to stay there, you know? Um, so that's, that was definitely a transformative book for me. Um, other books, I would say probably in college when I began reading international writers, um, uh, Jam Coetzee, um, Chinua Achebe, you know, just some people whose lives were so different from mine um, that they took me to an entirely different place. And I say this to my kids. I have three kids. Uh, They are 18, 16, and 12. And what I say to them all the time is, you know how the cliche is, uh, you should walk a mile in someone else's shoes to know what their life is. And I said, that's what books are. Um, Books let you walk in someone's shoes. We can't obviously walk in everyone's shoes, right? But we can read and we can, and through that, that being a part, falling into that world, entering that place, you know, we can begin to understand what someone else's life is like. Yeah, I I agree completely. As as a writer, does that come into your mind? Um, people are reading the profiles that you write or um, articles about local foods. How? What do you expect their experience to be reading reading an article? I think um, we had just mentioned. I think I just spoke with you about how profiles are my favorite kind of story to write. Um, And, but it's also a big responsibility. I remember um, starting out as a journalist and hating to write profiles because I felt not worthy to the task of summing up someone's life in whatever, 800 words or a thousand words, which is a ridiculous thing to ask anyone to do. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, I love it now um, as a more experienced journalist, because it's, uh, it's, it's that same responsibility, but I love that 
um, people give me the chance to sum up their lives. And I think when I'm writing, the I'm worried less these days about trying to make sure I say every single thing that's happened in someone's life. And I'm more focused on giving a feel of um, their life, who they are, who this person is. Um, so, and I feel that when I'm writing, I think about um, filming a, like being a cinematographer, so that I'm always trying to decide when to go in tight and when to pull back. Um, and so often my stories will have, will begin with a close in moment, an example of something that's very detailed. And then they'll, they'll take a step back to see a wider lens. Um, and to me, when I'm writing, that is the thing that I'm thinking about the most. Like, what's the most telling detail in this person's life? What's the thing, the tiny little detail or story I can tell you that says, that tells the story? Um, so that's that's how I'm structuring it. Have you ever had any um, any of your subjects that you've encountered as you've, you've written about them that, that they followed up with you? Has anyone come back and said, hey, you saw me in a spe- specific way? Or For sure. Um, you know, and sometimes they don't love what I've written. Um, I... I can remember two times and both of them were elderly men at the end of their careers. And it's interesting um, when, when, it, when it happened a second time, I thought this is an interesting sort of trend. Um, I almost always, when I am writing, uh, especially an in-depth profile, I make sure that the subject sees it before I send it to my editor. Um, that can be controversial in the world of journalism, but I feel like um, as a writer, if someone is trusting me to to put their whole um, life on the page, that they deserve a moment to, they deserve the chance to have seen it before it is uh, printed. Um, if I were covering politicians and um, people who were perhaps uh, not who were accountable to the public in a in a more of, um, in a different way than the writers and and the chefs and the um, sort of cultural icons that I tend to write about, it would be a different story. But for the folks that I profile, I feel like it's really important for them to have a chance to weigh in on what I've said about them. So it's when people are reading my stories, they are once they're in print, they're not surprised. But I have had feedback where um, someone will say, I don't see myself this way, or that you overemphasized, you know, this. And sometimes there's a conversation and I can pull back or change something a little bit. Um, in both those cases, I didn't change things very much because I felt that I was right. Um, and I maybe softened a few things, but um, I had a dialogue. I said, this is why I believe this. You know, this is why I think that this is telling. And, and in the end, I hope that we came to a good place. Um Anyway, but yes, I often hear from folks who um, maybe are a little surprised to read about themselves. Um, And there was an artist I profiled who, um, she's probably in her 70s, and she said to me, she's like, it's kind of a humbling experience to read your life story like that. So um, 
I, I think it is an, an interesting ex- experience for most people to be written about. Um, and I'm, you know, always open to hearing um, their feedback and, and concerns and um, trying to make it um, a, sort of a joint project by the time that it's it's in print. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I, I always think about how um, we see ourselves differently. Um, and a lot of times people underestimate the the importance of what they're doing or the power in what they're doing uh and to be profiled in a in a magazine especially one as good not your high quality as the roanoke or for for someone could be a, a really big deal um right yeah. right uh, i i liken it to um hearing your recorded voice, you know, if you, you hear yourself speak all the time and then you like record your voice on your phone or something and you hear it back and you think, oh, that isn't what I sound like at all. Like, so sometimes I feel like that is a little bit the process, you know, when you read about yourself, you're like, oh, is that really who I am? And sometimes, you know, you have to adjust to, to seeing yourself in that new space. Yeah. Well, that voice that listeners are hearing is Christina Nifong, and she's a freelance writer and a cook and a local foods advocate, and she has a newsletter that we'll talk about in a minute. But I also want to mention again that Book No Further on Roanoke's historic city market is our sponsor. Uh, and you can stop by and visit with Dolores Vest, and she'll she'll put a book in your hand. She'll talk to you about what's happening in the community. Uh, she'll sell you a gently used book or a new book. Uh, and you can arrange for a discount at, on your book club book as well. So, well, let's talk a little bit. Um, we talked about you coming to Roanoke. Was there a personal transformation for you in coming to Roanoke? Actually, absolutely. Um, probably my biggest personal transformation have has come when I um, took a step back from my writing to raise my kids. And then when I returned, uh, and both of those times were... Um, were big changes and hard to adjust to. Um, but so I would say, um, and someday I'm definitely going to write about this, but I haven't. So at this point, but um, taking a big break from your career, it, it's so hard to come back, but definitely worth it. <laughs> um, and the, I was out for about a decade and the world of journalism in particular changed dramatically in the decade when I, when I stepped back. So I would say the personal transformation came from opening up my life to, um, family and food and gardening. And then, um, the uh, second transformation was trying to find a way to weave all of that together, uh, which is, I guess, where I am now. <laughs> I'm, I'm still in it, I think. Um, so 2014 was when I uh, started as the food writer for the Roanoke Times. And um, so I feel like these past six years have been, you know, baby step after baby step in terms of um, finding the exact place I want to be. Um, I th- and I think that's true of all of us. That we're constantly becoming. Uh, it's, it seems. Uh, sure. I think it's how why people responded to this topic so well. And um, we're all trying to figure out how to live a life. And the only way we figure out how to live a life is by 
living it and trying things and you've got a terrific mix of um of aspects to the work you're doing and they seem to be woven together really really well and so when i look at your newsletter or your website um, i you know i'm seeing a person there i'm not seeing a body of work uh, which i think is interesting uh and then I was thinking too about the the in your newsletter. You, uh, I can get recipes and uh, some some ad, there's advocacy and there are links to your writing. And I was thinking about the recipes and recipes are all about transformation uh, as well. So you've got you've got a whole lot happening there. Have, how long have you been doing the newsletter? So the newsletter has been in various um, stages since 2016. But it is about to enter a brand new phase. <laughs> so uh, it's been called a couple different things. It's looked many different ways. I took a break for a while, but we are, um, it is back. And as of the February newsletter, um, it will be called Nourishing Stories. And it will have a personal essay, uh, links to writing, every my writing, other people's writings, and then um, recipes. And the idea is um, that I really wanted to give readers kind of a moment to pause and reflect. I feel like we are in a space right now where everything's kind of coming at you. It's so busy and so much of the conversation is arguing and um people defending their positions. And I really wanted to create something where people from all walks of life, all political leanings could come together, take a moment. Um, and I guess the metaphor is they are coming to the table, sharing stories and sharing food. Um, so the, the personal essay, the links to stories, and then the recipes are, um, you know, hopefully this space where we can all sit down and just be together. Wow, that's lovely. Uh, that, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a mission for the work that you're doing, a, a real mission. And I, I'm really interested in people, and, and I think these are the kind of people that you, that you had in your article um, who are interested in something, they're passionate about it. How do they, you know, as well as aligning it within their own life, how are they aligning that passion with the community to improve the community? And it seems to make everything so much more worth doing. Um, so, as, so every time you grow a, a subscriber or two or 10 or 20 on, on your newsletter list, you must feel like, okay, yeah, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. Right. Yeah. Well, and if we're talking about personal transformation, I will say that probably in the last year, I took a little bit of a break from the newsletter um, and thought hard about what I could offer readers that they weren't seeing somewhere else that they needed in their lives. And um, this is what I came up out with or up with. Um, and I feel like part of the personal transformation part was I had to grow in confidence. I had to believe that I had something to offer readers and then think hard about what that was. Um, so I think 
for everyone who has a passion project that it often takes some time and some false starts and some moving in this direction and then moving in that direction to figure out exactly, you know, what that passion is. Um, and I kind of feel like I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I am super excited about this. Oh, that's, that's great. And when, when we try these things, it's often in the public space or, or, you know, it's very visible. Like we try, try one thing, it doesn't work. Uh, how do you pick yourself up and adjust it? Or, or how do you present yourself and your work? Uh, and, and what, what's happening, like in a, even when a community's working together on something, well, we're, we're trying this, we're not sure if it's going to work. We might have to adjust it some, uh, how that does take courage. For sure. I would say, again, my love for Roanoke, the folks here are pretty forgiving, uh, pretty encouraging. And um, I think Michelle Davis said this in the What Makes Roanoke Roanoke story. She was one of my favorite conversations. Um, She said that Roanoke is special because so many people here want us all to succeed. You know, that we are, it's it's almost like we're all walking hand in hand toward betterness, you know? And um, so that makes it a little less scary. I think, I, you know, if I'd lived in New York City or somewhere else, you know, would I have had the courage to try this and then try that and then, you know, eventually find the thing that um, that really speaks to me that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, I Wow, I haven't quite been able to put my finger on exactly what that is about Roanoke, but um, I, I try to imagine myself once in a while. It's probably a, you know due diligence. You know, how would I do if I was in another community doing this or and like this doesn't belong in another community. This belongs in Roanoke. Uh, yeah, there's there's something something about it now, and I, I've always thought of Roanoke as kind of constantly it has those people who are working hard to to you know change things make things better and improve them um they're all out there doing that what does Roanoke look like in the future to you I have no idea I'm the wrong person to ask that (laughs) Michelle Davis has a great vision she basically said um you know she thinks that the change is going to accelerate even faster the Roanoke just did this 40 under 40 story um which is those pages are just filled with amazing people who I, you know, are committed to doing great work in the community. And, um, so when you read those, you can't help but be inspired and feel like, you know, the city's in good hands. But, um, what Michelle said was that the change was going to accelerate even faster and that, you know, it was really going to take all of us, um, doing our best, you know, working our hardest to make sure that, that we emerged you know, in the next decade, um, in a place where we wanted to be. <laughs> well, terrific. I, I think that, that future orientation is a good, good place for us to, to stop. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I want to thank you for being here with me today. Oh, I so appreciate you inviting me to come. And uh, that brings us to the end of the episode of Book City Roanoke, my next chapter. And I want to Mention again that our sponsor is Book No Further, which you can find on Roanoke's Historic City Market or with a .com at the end of it. And you can read an earlier interview with Christina on the website, Book City Roanoke, and you can learn more about Our Things Literary. Get session notes and links at bookcityroanoke.com. 
and visit ChristinaNifong.com to sign up for the Nourishing Stories newsletter and to learn more about Christina's work. Join us next time as our guest is reader and Roanoke City Council member Bill Bespitch.